Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. Hey guys, I hope you're having a great week. Let's get to it. So... This podcast is brought to you by Vortex Optics. We use the Ultra HDs. They're new for 2019. 10 by 42 UHD. Go to a local sportsman's warehouse, Cabela's, Bass Pro, whatever, and get eyes through them. See for yourself. You know, a lot of guys will say there's the big three when it comes to optics. I couldn't disagree more. Vortex makes top tier optics, and they back it with the VIP warranty if anything goes wrong, send them back in. They'll make it right. Uh, that's all I have to say about Vortex. So, Kenetrek Boots, we are rocking the Mountain Guide Series, non-insulated, of course. Boots are a funny thing to plug. So, I will say this. You have to invest in a really good pair of boots. I bring two pairs of boots to every elk hunt. And the reason why is because uh, the boots could get wet. They need to dry out. The boots could... I don't know. I, I think boots can be one of those things that you swap out every other day just to, you know, keep your feet fresh. Everything starts from the ground up. While you're looking at Kenetrek, I would look at their gaiters because they're pretty top notch. And I can't tell you how many times I wear gaiters during elk season. Where I go, it's usually going to be wet in the mornings. You're going to get some rain at some point, things like that. On X Hunt out of Missoula, these guys have changed the game. They've actually, I love and hate them. I love them because I utilize their tools literally every day. Uh, I'm e-scouting right now for 2020, 
and I'm uploading KLM files from Google Earth into my Onyx maps from the desktop, and then it's all saved, and I'm mapping out new areas that I'm going to go check out, how I'm going to get in there, where I'm going to glass, where is there water, and I just kind of plan my hunt from a computer, and then I wait for late spring, early summer to go scout. In some places, it's just too far to scout, so I have to rely on Google Earth and Onyx combination. So the reason why I hate Onyx hunt is because everybody has it, and some of my best public land spots near Spokane for deer season have been invaded by massive amounts of hunters. I used to have the place to myself, so I love it, I hate it, but it's just the greatest tool, and competition just brings out the best in everyone. So uh, Elk 101, Corey will come on here and tell you about the University of Elk Hunting. If you've never been through it, holy smokes, it's about as thorough as it gets. And Corey's a very detail-oriented guy. So if you know anything about Corey, he's the elk whisperer. He's extremely intelligent on his approach to elk hunting. He thought of everything, and he quarterbacks you through how to get ready to not only plan the hunt, but what tactics, how to scout, all that kind of stuff from your desktop to in-person, to strategies, sequences, and things like that. One of the best purchases you can make is a backpack. I've tried Mystery Ranch, Badlands, uh, Eberly Stock. They're all good, but I think XO is one of the best because of how light that titanium frame is, how you can take the bag away from the frame and not waste a trip, lugging around your camp or something, and then going back for a pack frame. No, you can haul out your first load, and the pockets are super simple, yet I haven't seen any other companies put pockets the way they did where it's not confusing, it's not too compartmentalized, it can really expand or it can condense down depending on it's a day pack situation or multiple days. Exo Mountain Gear, check out the new K3 frame and the new 4800 bag, that's what I'm rocking. Matthews Archery, switched to Matthews in 2019 after a long run with another manufacturer I'm very happy to say that my Matthews bows, albeit not the fastest bows I've ever shot, they are the quietest and they stay in tune. That last part is the most important part. I don't want to have to check my timing, look for cam lean every three, four hundred shots. I want my bow to stay in tune once I find it tuned. I like to shoot fill points and broadheads year round. Speaking of broadheads... Grim Reaper Broadheads. I use a three-blade Hades. It's a micro. It's fixed. It's deadly. And I like fixed broadheads for elk. So check out the Pro Series from Grim Reaper Broadhead. Look up the Hades three-blade. Slap it on you into your arrow and see what it can do for you. Speaking of arrows, we use Easton. We like the full metal jackets for elk. I have been using the Axis, which is a little bit lighter arrow since I switched to Matthews. It's been a great setup for me. I usually use a three-vein boning blazer and I do an offset or I'll do a massive helical depending on how I'm feeling and and I try both and I just try to tinker. I don't put a lot of weight at the back end of my arrow. I don't put wraps. I try to stay away from four veins. I just do three. That's just what works for me. A tight spot quiver though, that is going to be where you make your money. Uh, I wanted to put the Matthews Q light quiver on my VXR but it basically, the arrows would be up against my Hamsky rest, so the tight spot came in handy. You can manipulate the tight spot to fit your setup. Uh, I like the five arrow. It's detachable for you whitetail guys, and go from there. Sick of gear out of Bozeman, making arguably the best mountain 
clothing systems for those that are going to take on Mother Nature. You want to have a layering system. Uh, the subalpine has been a game changer for me for the elk seasons that I hunt where it's hot and dry. And uh, that's worked really well for me. I like the Apex hoodie, the Apex pants, built-in knee pads, super light. It flexes. It's awesome. Siberian coolers, they are not a fancy brand like maybe Yeti. But I think they're just as good and a little bit cheaper. They have a great warranty. Uh, there's a good video I put on YouTube about them. I kind of break them down and compare them to Yeti. So check out Siberian if you're interested. Phelps Game Calls. We got Jason Phelps going to be helping out with some elk shape camps. And then obviously the Buglers at quite a few of the camps as well. Off Grid Food Co. Spencer out of Washington, making the delicious eats with the great macronutrient ratios. Those are our partners. Let's get into today's show. We are interviewing Will Hoffman out of Idaho Falls, Idaho. Dude just got off an awesome do-it-yourself season with a November rifle tag that he drew. We go into that as well as his pretty awesome lifestyle, being a single guy, working out, working and shed hunting and scouting all season all fall long for this one tag and it paid off big and he takes her through the story it's really cool he's a great dude hard worker and that's why we bring him on just another average blue collar guy with above average extraordinary passion for elk hunting that's what we're all about let's get into today's show i appreciate you guys tuning in you have lots of options give us a five-star review if you're into that and we appreciate you here we go Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man, sitting down tonight with Will Hoffman out of Idaho. I don't know him. I just know he's just like us. It's the blue-collar, regular dude who gets after it in the Elk Honey Mountains, and uh, we're excited to have you on. Will, what's going on today, man? Oh, not much. Just uh, just a normal Tuesday for me. Just had work and uh, excited to be here, excited to talk about some hunting stuff, you know? Yeah, so you are in your late 20s, right? Yeah, I am 28 years old. I'm an engineer. I work at the Idaho National Lab here in Idaho Falls. And uh, I pretty much, when I'm not on my computer at work, I'm at the gym or up in the mountains. That's that's all I do. I don't I don't have a wife or kids or anything like that. I just I'm just all business. <laughs> right on. Well, that takes you know that takes a lot of my questions away because life's pretty simple <laughs> when he's just. Yeah train and hunt and punch a clock so how long have you been an engineer um so i finished grad school in let's see 2016 um so i've been working at the inl for a little over three years now all right so what is your work schedule like and then obviously we'll get into when do you train and most importantly how much time do you have off to go hunting yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so it, my work is actually really it's it's really nice. It's it's super flexible. Um, we work on a nine eighty schedule, so it's um, Monday through Thursday nine hours, and then Friday is an eight hour shift, and then the following Friday you have off. So you have every other Friday off. So you get three day weekends every other week, and um, I I pretty much get to choose when I do my my work hours, like within reason. Um, I usually am there from like seven to four or four thirty. And obviously either do you train before work or do you just wait till afterwards? 
So, so for a long time, I was going after work. I would just pack my duffel bag and go after work. But, but for the past probably three, four months, I've been going before work and, um, it's really nice. I really, I really like how much energy I have in the mornings after I've worked out and, uh, I, I get a lot more work done in the morning. I feel like. Yeah. Touch on that, man. I want you to preach that good gospel of training before life happens. Um, cause there ain't nothing to do at 5 a.m. besides go work out like you ain't you gotta go do errands um your boss is not gonna call you and ask you to stay late because it's this what's it like making that switch was it pretty hard at first yeah um you know it, it really wasn't I, I did it in the summer i think it's a lot easier to wake up early in the summer when it's light outside and it's not cold and and things like that but but yeah since i've started doing it since i've started working out in the morning before work i mean before I was doing that, I always, you know, people want to go do social things or sometimes things come up at work and you got to stay late. And it's just, it's just hard to keep the consistency sometimes. I, I mean, I love going to the gym, so it's really not hard for me. It, it more just hurt my personal relationships because I was never going and doing anything on work nights. But um, when you, when you work out in the morning, I mean, you're just going to be sleeping during that time. So you go, you get your workout done you're super energized in the morning when you're at work, you get a ton of stuff done and then you have the whole evening free to, you know, to do whatever. And, um, it's, it's just, it's just been way more convenient for me. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever go back to, to working out after work, honestly. No, I couldn't agree more. I I think that, um, it sucks in December when you like never see the light of day and my garage gym, super cold. I don't have heat in there, so I'll yeah. go. I'll get soft and go to the CrossFit gym. But um, what gym do you train at? What kind of style of workouts do you do? Yeah, I saw I saw your Instagram today. That that, that looks like a pretty sweet setup you got there. Yeah, we um, just I just did. Uh, what did I order? So it's taken me a long time to get there. I don't think I don't condone just writing a four or five thousand dollar check and having everything <laughs> shipped at your yeah, house. Yeah, <laughs> but sure. that. That upgrade was I got that squat rack in the back, the orange one that bolts the. It's a rig that bolts to your wall. Um, yeah. And then I picked up two sleds, one for my wife and one for me, just so we can push and pull heavy weight. I feel like that's really applicable to hunting. Um, yeah. I picked up some change plates because I was struggling to get some of these little in between weights, and then I picked up a barbell. I've been training. This is a. I hate to confess this, but my. I got my wife a bar first, a women's bar. So Mm -hmm. 35-pound women's bar, and I think they're 22-millimeter. I just picked up a men's bar, 28-millimeter. It's called the the Rogue Ohio Bar, and I'm pumped to finally have a men's bar. And uh, that's what I got. So everything else you see I've pretty much picked up over time. I totally like the idea of garage-style gyms, but it's pretty tough to beat a real gym in the winter. Where do you go? Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I, I've been working out at Gold's Gym here in uh, Idaho Falls pretty much for the past, I don't know, three or four years. And I've tried other gyms. I've tried CrossFit gyms. I, I like the CrossFit style workouts. That's not what I've always done, but I'm, I'm over the past probably six months, I've, I've been definitely been doing mostly CrossFit style of workouts. Haven't been like following the exact CrossFit workouts or anything, but I, I, I like to think they're kind of similar in style. Gold's is pretty nice. Um, they have, you know, they have plenty of equipment. I, I pretty much just train with barbells, kettlebells, and dumbbells. I don't really use any of the machines ever. I like to just design my own workouts and uh, kind of just do like 
a circuit with something that's touching kind of on every every part of the body and i just hit it as hard and fast as i can until i can't walk anymore and then i go home or i go to work i guess <laughs> yeah well i've seen pictures of you on instagram you're jacked um you can't get jacked by not just doing free weights like it's really hard not to increase yeah. muscle size on a machine you, you you're moving yeah. free weights you're doing big movements from what i can tell you're doing your squats your deads your push your pulls nutrition wise and I usually don't start podcasts out. We don't talk a ton about fitness on Elk Shape, which is funny, but I love talking about it. What What's going on at home for food prep and, and bringing food with you to work? And, and what kind of kind of food items are you taking in and which ones do you avoid? Yeah. That, yeah. Um, so I, I, I kind of try to keep it pretty dang simple. I think a lot of people really try to overcomplicate it. And I, I don't think it's that that crazy of a thing. I just, I just honestly, one of the rules that I try to live by is I try to have at least 20, 30 grams of protein with every single thing that I eat. Even we have a meeting someday and someone brings donuts, I'm crushing two donuts and a protein shake. I, I always have protein with everything that I eat. So for lunches, I'm usually on Sunday, I'll cook up a big batch of food and uh, that'll be my lunches for the week. Usually it's just a a big chunk of meat or a big portion of ground meat. And I, I usually do rice. I like basmati rice and then ground, like, uh, some frozen vegetables, frozen mixed vegetables. Usually this last week I did a uh, roast off of my elk with, uh, potatoes and carrots and celery and onions in the crock pot. Uh, that's can... been, that's been solid. <laughs> yeah. So just being disciplined, making your food ahead of time. I like your protein rule. If people just tried that, I think it would change the way they felt and I oh, think yeah. it would change the way they would recover. And I don't think they'd be as tempted to eat uh, crappy food items when you have 30 grams of protein trying to assimilate in your gut every three or four hours. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really Without good. a doubt. It's, it's way harder to overeat when you're, when you're eating you know, protein. When you're eating a big chunk of meat, it's a lot harder to overeat than it is if you're eating bread. So how many encounters will you have during the day that will involve some sort of whey isolate protein powder? So kind of my ritual, I work out, come to work, I shower at the, the locker rooms at my work because they're really nice. And then I, um, I have like a post-workout drink that's got uh, aminos and stuff like that. So I drink that on my drive to work. And then I usually mix up some oatmeal um, like an hour or so after I settle in at work. And um, that's just some old fashioned oats, chia seeds, cinnamon, and like a scoop and a half of whey protein isolate. And uh, I, I, I won't usually um, have any more whey protein. I, I keep some in my house and stuff. It, I only have that if I, if I eat something weird out of the ordinary that doesn't have a lot of protein in it. But that's not, not very often. But you know, like I said, like if I go to a meeting and there's donuts or if I go out to dinner and I eat something that doesn't have a lot of meat in it, then I'll, then I'll have a protein shake before bed or something like that. So, All right. Well, enough of this boring fitness nutrition stuff that <laughs> dictates how you feel and how you perform. Let's get into the fact that you are a diehard shed hunter and yeah. you guys annoy me, you shed hunters, because... <laughs> You guys scoop up every brown. You know where to go year in, year out. You guys got your hot spots. Uh, do you have a dog? Uh, I don't. I, my my parents have a dog, and they live pretty close to me, so I, I take him sometimes. But okay. it, when the ticks get really bad, I, 
I don't usually bring him just because, man, the ticks are a nightmare sometimes. When are they the worst? The ticks? Yes. Um, usually like May and April when I'm out looking for when, when things have, when the snow is pretty much melted and, um, I've noticed like in the, in the low spots when you, when you, when you're in like a wash or something like that, man, sometimes they're just, I'll look down and have 30 on me. I can't imagine bringing a dog through that. And like, I mean, he would just be covered, you know? So, yeah. So you shed hunters, I got, I say it like that because I used to shed hunt and I had to kind of give it up for, for family stuff. I, I literally would love to go shed hunting every second, but I banked that time for bear hunting, but you can kind of do both at the same time. But sure. Here's my question for you. Are you the guy that gets up on a ridge and locates bulls when they're still packing and kind of keep tabs on them? Um, I've done that a couple of times, but it's, it, it hasn't really for me just because like the areas where the elk are wintering and where, I mean, like there's so many people out doing it now that, I mean, the obvious ones, everyone's watching them and I can't, I can't be taking weekdays to go do that kind of stuff. Um, I try to locate, I try to locate them, you know, in the winter time, like well before they've shed and, but um, I'm not I'm not watching them right up until they shed just because I don't have the time. I'd rather be out looking for deer sheds in that time, and then once the elk start dropping, I'm I just switch gears and just start pounding the hills as much as I possibly can. It's my favorite form of exercise by far and away. Shed hunting. It's just a great excuse to hike, and you can cover lots of ground. Um, oh, what's yeah. an average mileage day for you shed hunting? Yeah, it, it depends. So the, so the areas that I go are super steep. So, I mean, I would say the average is like 10, 10-ish miles probably. I've, I've done a couple of 20-mile days and it's it's pretty brutal just because it's not like, it's not so much my, like my, my legs get sore, like, a, you know, like it's not my fitness that's an issue. It's my feet. Like when it's yeah. that steep, it's so hard. I mean, even with the best boots money can buy and trekking poles and like when you're carrying around 50 pounds of sheds and it's like 60 degree incline or whatever, it's just, it's just brutal on your feet. It's hard to keep going. Would you say the bigger the bull, the earlier they drop? I think, I think so. Yeah. I think that's generally true. So what is that for up here? So let me give an example. I shed hunted last year, uh, in, New Mexico and we were gosh it was March and it might even be mid-March we were picking up browns left and right I would never find browns in Idaho or Washington that time of year Um, yeah would you agree with that yeah no I've never found I don't think I've ever found any brownies in March usually it usually for me it's like mid-April yeah. Um, is when the, when I, when the first ones kind of start happening, start hitting the ground. Um, I, you know, I see people on Instagram obviously that are like keeping close tabs on bulls. They, that when they watch them shed, you know, they run up and grab them. But I also don't want to be up there running the herds around for one or two antlers when 90% of them are still on their heads. I mean, that's just, that's just kind of counterproductive, I think. 
I couldn't agree more. And I think uh, as it gains popularity, I don't know if it could get any more popular. I think there'll be more and more seasons on shed hunting, unfortunately. Yeah, but yeah, it's a bummer, but it's true. I that's think. the social media age, man. Shed hunting is cool. Elk hunting is cool. Um, but yeah, next shed hunting question is, have you ever picked up so many sheds where you're like, okay, I got to stash some sheds and come back and get some? <laughs> yeah, I, I did that. I, did, I actually had a day like that this last well i had two days in a row like that this last spring the first day i found 13 elk sheds and i think nine of them were browns it was like it it was unbelievable i've never had a day like that i mean it was it was just like it was blowing my mind i would just walk up on one and i and like 20 more steps and i'd find another one and but i i found i mean i glassed one from my truck when i parked and i was like oh this is gonna be a sweet day and I think within the first hour I had four or five big ones on my back and I just, I had to stash them cause I was planning on going way up the mountain. And I mean, I wasn't going to carry those things. I blew out both my boots on that day. That was, that was rough. Dude, that, uh, it was, it was I think cool. That just sounds like a great day and a good <laughs> problem cool, to yeah. have. I wonder if guys cool. ever stumble across someone's shed stash that they were coming back for. Yeah. I've always wondered that too. I wonder, I always, I always wonder like what, what I would do, you know, if like, that's a ethical <laughs> dilemma. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like if, if you don't see anyone and they've obviously been sitting there for a while, I'd say I'm probably, I'm probably taking them, but you know, if, if there's boot tracks around, you know, are you going to, I think you probably ought to leave them. I, I don't know. Probably, especially if they're Browns, they're coming back for them. I, there's a unit in New Mexico that I, I was just doing a like I was bivy hunting and I killed a bull and I had stashed quite a few sheds and I remember at one point I had to pick like okay meat you got to take camp out and it was just a long pack out and it was a oh, couple yeah. of trips and regretfully I didn't go back for my shed stash now th- at the time I didn't realize you could sell them yeah uh, it was like <laughs> 2005 I was pretty ignorant to that but. Uh, so somebody found a sweet stash of sheds. Um, nice. I was coming over, but do you sell your sheds? No, I ha- I've never sold any. I have I have so many. I mean, like if you could see my house right now, there's there's I keep all my good brown ones in my house, and I've got a couple of gigantic piles of other ones in my garage. <laughs> but I haven't I haven't sold any yet. I I was kind of thinking about it because I kind of just bought a whole bunch of camo. And a new bow, so I, <laughs> I, could, I could use some cash at the moment. But it's the but, best. Uh, Selling your sheds is the hardest thing to do for me. I know. For some reason, I'm just attached to them. I don't. I mean, they're just sitting in my garage, but I, I just don't want to get rid of them. I don't know what it is. I have like one stash of sheds that's just big brown, six point or better. And I can't sell yeah. them, but I did sell a bunch of brownie fives and rags and chalk. Yeah. And I don't know, I got a couple thousand bucks cash. This was a few years back and my wife was really pumped because I was starting to have too many and um, that cash helps, man. You can you can put that towards your credit card or whatever, you know, some gas money or sure. tags. But uh, yeah, what, yeah, what camo did you buy and what bow did you get? Um, so I, Kuyu just had like a huge sale and I love all my Kuyu stuff. So I bought a few more things. I bought, I bought one of the super down pro jackets that I've been eyeballing forever. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Game changer there. That's like their version of a puffy. Yeah. It's like their big puffy. Yeah. Okay. Copy that. And then what bow did you get? 
I got the it's last year's model. It's a Prime Logic CT3. Yeah, yeah, I've heard great things about that bow. And I shoot yeah. for Matthews, but I don't hate on any other bow. Man, I love that anyone shoots a bow, and I know that G5 makes a good product. Um, yeah, the double cam thing. No one else is doing that, um, yeah. and I think that could be really good for for tuning. Like your bow probably stays in tune. You don't get cam lean. Um, I get it for sure. You killed a monster bull this year. I know that I kind of wanted to save that towards the end, but I can't help myself. Let's get into it. What did you draw a tag or was that OTC? Yeah. yeah. So I uh, drew, drew a, a rifle tag for the month of November in Idaho. It's, it's not like a, I mean, there's general hunts in this unit. It's not like a, a I mean, it's a sought after tag, I guess. I think the odds are like two to 4% or something. Okay. But, um, and I've been putting in for this tag for like four years. Cause I, it's, it's the areas that I go shed hunting. I know where the elk winter, it's a November hunt. You know, I'm just thinking like, man, I should be able to freaking find a giant in this hunt. It's huge, huge zone, tons of elk, tons of awesome elk country. I mean, I was, I was so pumped when I found out I drew this tag. I, I put it in with my friend this year. I, I've always put in by myself and me and my buddy were shed hunting one day and it was about time to put in and I asked him what he was doing and he didn't know. And I was like, man, put in for this elk hunt with me. Let's do it. And you both and drew. I, <laughs> yes. We both, we both had tags and man, it was, it was amazing. It was so fun. It well, was that's when, yeah. I was gonna say that's when shed hunting pays off. Like, okay, you, yeah. you, you know, some cool areas, you knew, you know where they're trying to get to probably by December, Jan, and you yeah. know where they probably rut or could figure that out and then kind of get between the two and find some November, some real rough country. And, and there they'll, you know, there they'll be. So we're going to hear that. Uh, tell us yeah. a little bit about like your season leading up to that tag. Cause I'm sure you archery hunted. Yeah, no. So I, I actually didn't archery hunt. Well, I, I archery hunted for deer a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah. But I, I, when I drew that tag, I spent most of my time out exploring parts of the zone that I didn't know, um, finding glassing points, finding summer range, because I knew that those bulls were going to go, you know, after the rut, they're going to move back up to their summer range basically until winter pushes them down. And so I was looking for bulls way up high. Um, I was just, I was just checking out area, trying to find places where we could hunt. Um, I, I really regret not archery hunting, but I, I don't get tons and tons of time off. And, uh, I, I love rifle hunting for deer. So I wanted to, I wanted to do that still. And, um, but yeah, so I, I, I archery hunted a little bit for deer. Couldn't really ever find anything that I, that was big enough that I, that I really wanted to shoot. Um, and then general deer season came around and I was just, I was just deer hunting in my, in my elk zone, um, trying to kind of kill two birds with one stone. Um, that was October. And so I'm looking for deer, looking for elk. And I, man, I found just a giant elk. He, he may, maybe bigger than the one that I killed. Really? Um, what was he doing? He was with a bunch of cows and in, uh, it was October 23rd it was the second to last day of deer season and he was with like 40 cows and one other smaller bull. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, he was, he was huge. He's exactly what I was hoping to find. 
and like just a day one shooter, like without a doubt. I mean, and so I found him and I was just like, I freaked out, you know, like in insane amount of anxiety after that. I was like, what if someone else, you know, knows where this bull's at and thinking I'm going to have to like be a first one on the mountain at three in the morning. And it was just, it was fun. But, um, yeah, that, that, that sort of set the tone for like where I was going to put my camp, where we were going to hunt for, you know, at least the first part of the season and, and, uh, where we're going to be looking and stuff. And yeah, I mean, I can, I can just get right into the whole story of the elk hunt or I don't know what, I don't know where you want me to go with it, but yeah, dude, I want to hear, well, when you found that bull, were you like ready to sell out and keep tabs on him or was it just not going to be possible with your work schedule? So, so I, I found him midweek. It was the 23rd. I think it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday or something. Of October, found right? Him. Yeah. And the, the hunt starts on November 1st. So I found him then. Oh. And then um, that weekend came and I went back up to that area on Saturday. So I had to get my trailer ready. I had to get a bunch of stuff ready for this hunt. But, but I had one day to go back up there. And I went back up there. And the area that I saw him in, he was, he was kind of below this mountain top. Like he was kind of mid mountain. And that's where, that's where I happened to be sitting and glassing. I was only like, I don't know, 800 yards from him when I saw him from down below, it's, it's really benchy foothills down there. So you can't glass any of it from the bottom. You have to glass it from, from super far out. You got to be, I don't know, miles away and just looking through a spotting scope. Um, so I got there on Saturday and it was like zero degrees blowing like 50 or 40 miles per hour out of the North. It was so cold and so windy. So I sat in my truck and glass for my truck cause I'm a wind. And, uh, I, I saw what I thought were bulls and, um, they were, they were right up above where I saw him. So I figured that's where they're hanging out. It's the perfect hideout spot. It's just super steep, no roads around. You can't even glass it from, from down below. And, uh, there's lots of feed up there. No one's going to bother him. And I figured that's where, that's where we need to be on day one. You know, mm-hmm. that's where we need to be on opening morning. So I saw him that Saturday and then let's see the hunt started on Friday. Friday was the first. So we went and set up camp on Thursday afternoon and I went back out Thursday evening, right before the night before the hunt started. And, um, I set up in that same kind of in the same spot, but a little closer and I glass and I watched two bulls feed on that same spot right on the very top, watch them feed until dark. And I, they were so far away. I mean, talking probably four or five miles away, but I could tell they were bulls. I could tell that, you know, they were at least decent bulls. Um, and that's where I wanted to be on opening morning. So did you get any sleep that night? <laughs> it was tough. <laughs> I had a I had an elk hunting book in my trailer. My friend, uh, my friend who had also had a tag, he had to he couldn't come out until the next morning. So I was by myself in the trailer, and I just I just read that elk hunting book until I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, and then so in the morning, did you and your buddy did, like decide to work together, or are you guys more like you go your way, I'll go mine? Yeah, so so it was kind of kind of a kind of a hard situation, right? Like um, 
I'm curious to find out what your opinion on this is. I mean, I mean, we worked it out and we're, you know, we're good buddies and everything was cool, but like, um, so, so I scouted, I found this bull and I, I didn't really know how to approach my friend about it. Cause I wanted, you know, I was like, I wanted to shoot that bull, right? Like I want to get up there and, and not, and, and him shoot it. I mean, I want him to shoot a great bull, but like I, I had like this connection with this bull at this point. And so I, I talked to him about it and he's like, man, it's your bull. Like, we'll go up there. We'll find him. I was like, if you want to go somewhere else, we can split, you know, we can split up and do our own thing. But he was super supportive and, and, uh, followed me up there. But I don't know. What, what do you think the, what, what's, what, what do you do in a situation like that? I mean, I try not to hunt with people, so I have that that situation because I can be really stingy and selfish when it comes to like elk. But um, if you got a good bro that you trust and stuff, I think just being upfront um, is really the best bet. Even if um, Aaron on the side of being very truthful and very straightforward, like, "Hey, I got really got my heart set on. I found this bull. Um, I want to shoot him. If you want to roll with me, that's great." But do you, I would probably encourage him to go find, you know, he can go find his own giant. Sounds like you're in a great area with an awesome tag, but, um, it is really fun to share a hunt with a buddy and share that success and have some help packing out. But, uh, I don't know, man, that's a tough call. I don't know what I would do. I would probably just make sure that they knew, you know, how I felt about it. Um, and it's, you know, a good friend would understand, I I think. Yeah. So. He, he totally, he totally did. And that's, that's exactly how, you know, exactly what, basically what I said to him and, and he was, you know, he's totally understanding and supportive. He's an awesome dude. So, wow. Um, cool. yeah, it was, it was really cool. And so, so that morning we woke up, I mean, we were up, he, he met up with me and it was two hours before daylight, I think. And we, we cruised in as close as we could get on our four wheelers and started hiking and, and we got about halfway up the mountain and we hadn't seen anything yet. We saw, we saw a pretty nice buck hanging out with, hanging out with a few does and kept walking. And then we spotted two bulls just below where I had seen them that night. And they were, they were still far, I mean, 2000 yards away or so. And, and we were just looking through binoculars, but it looked nice. You know, I couldn't tell if it was the shooter or not. And, and uh, they were kind of feeding out in a, feeding out and across this side hill and we we thought maybe we could cut them off if we if we moved quick and uh we got over there as fast as we could and i don't know how they could have seen us or heard us but we got over there there was no elk over there and we waited the whole day (laughs) and it was cold yeah we never we never saw an elk again so (laughs) it was it wasn't as easy as we hoped, you know, maybe getting a sweet bowl on day one. It didn't, didn't exactly work out that way, but. So what'd you guys do day two since it didn't pan out? Yeah. So day two, we went, we kind of went on the backside of that, of that, uh, sort of finger that, that we, that we were on the day before we figured, we figured if we bumped them, they just probably went further and deeper into the, into the abyss, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, so we're hiking up, it's like not even light yet at all. And my buddy's like, there's a bull on the skyline and you could just see the skyline bull. And we saw him for just a little bit and he pops back over on the other side of the ridge. And I mean, we were only a few hundred yards away, but 
it was a completely open grassy hill and he was on the very top of it. So like we had no play. <laughs> so we, we like, we bailed around to the, so we could get the sun in our favor and we kind of got on the adjacent ridge so that maybe we could be above him and look down onto the top of that. And by the time we got up there, he was gone and we waited for a few hours and then walked over there and saw the tracks went down and, and, uh, we never saw, we never saw any elk that day after that either. And that was kind of frustrating. I was, I was, I was pretty down in the dumps after that. I was like, man, this is like way harder than I thought it was going to be. I thought we were just going to come up here and spot him and shoot him and it would be done, but it didn't go that way. Uh, and so after, after kind of thinking that we had made our presence a little too known up there, we decided to hunt a different area for the next couple of days. And man, we were just, we were seeing so many elk. We were, I mean, we were seeing like 50 plus elk a day probably 15, 20 bulls a day, like all, you know, some of them were pretty nice bulls, but it was only like the third, fourth day of the season. So we weren't, we weren't seeing giants, you know? Yeah. But at least you're seeing some good inventory. So did you guys decide to move camp eventually? No. So, so we kept camp there and we were kind of just driving to different spots and checking things out. And, um, and my dad, my dad, you know, grew up hunting all that country up, up there. And, and he just like, he was super excited about us having this tag. So he was out patrolling, glassing, you know, looking around and, and, uh, he spent on the, so the second day that we were away from that area, my dad was in the area that we started in and he saw a whole bunch of elk just North of where we were at. And so the fifth day we decided to go, and check out where he was at, which was just just a little way, just a couple miles north of where we had started hunting. And um, we were there at first light. We were watching watching some elk. There's a couple of herds, a couple of groups of bulls. Nothing nothing real big, but I looked over at that at the north side of the the mountain that we originally started on, and I saw it was all just snow covered on that side and I could see just perfect. I could see the bull that I had seen before the season. I know it was him. Oh yes. Without a doubt. And I was just like, like my heart just started racing. I mean, I was, it was so intense and he was with another bull that looked just as big. And I think that that's the bull that I ended up shooting. He was also with two other six points that were dang nice six point bulls. And then one other bull and we watched, we watched the two biggest bulls. They kind of came down a little low on that ridge and, and uh, fed off into some timber. I assume that they were just bedded in there because it was like it was like nine thirty at, at this point in the morning. And the two nice six points bedded like right on the top of the of the. It was like kind of like a long saddle ridge line, and uh, they bedded just off the north side of that. And so. My buddy and I decided to run back to camp, grab some, grab some lunch, uh, check our rifles, make sure everything was good, and uh, head up onto the south face and hope that they just would feed over onto that south face because we sort of watched them feed from the south onto the north. And I figured, you know, there's there's such good feed over there. They're probably gonna just they're probably just gonna head right back over to that south face as soon as the sun drops. 
And if we're sitting there in a good spot, we can just ambush them when they when they pop over the top. Yeah. <clears throat> so we went back to camp, got everything situated, and I think like one o'clock or something, we started up the mountain. And it, I mean, it's just a it's a steep hike getting up there. And we got up there, got in position. We're like probably a thousand yards or so below below where we anticipated the elk to to come over to feed over the top of yeah and we're just sitting there and on the ridge across from us a different ridge kind of adjacent to us we're watching these two bulls it was like a mediocre six point and a little raghorn they were just feeding and as soon as the sun drops i glass up onto that ridge and i just see antlers on the skyline and mm-hmm. and it's just like man it's just go time you know like they were big too. Like I, I put my spotting scope on it and I, I have a phone cam on my, on my cell phone. So I start taking video Yeah. and I posted this video on my Instagram. It's a sweet video, but it's, it's the bull that I shot and he's got like this cool kicker off of, off of his fifth on one side and you can just see him perfect skyline and he's just feeding along the top of the ridge. It's, it was so neat. I, I, w- I was just like sitting there watching and talking about it, like thinking, man, he, he's definitely a shooter. He's a nice bull. And I looked at my buddy and he's like, what are we going to do? <laughs> I like, I was just like, oh yeah, let's go get him. <laughs> so, so what's your comfortable range with your rifle just going into this hunt? Um, I would say like 600 is six, maybe 700 is as far as I would as far as I would shoot, I would definitely want to keep it 500 or closer. Yeah. Um, but you know, obviously you want to get as close as you can, but, uh, you know, if you're, if you're shooting across a Canyon or something, I mean, I I wouldn't hesitate out to 600 yards. Roger that. Okay. I, I shoot a lot. I have seven mag. Um, I have a Husqvarna long range scope. I have the turrets that I can just dial, dial the yardage and, and let it rip. And, I felt pretty good about, about my shooting. I wasn't even really concerned about that. So we uh, dropped off the backside of where we were sitting and we were out of view of, of the elk and we kind of snuck up onto this little peak that was just just barely above them. And it just gave us like a perfect, a perfect ambush spot. And we snuck in and there was like an opening between some, there wasn't many trees, but there was some trees and there was just this opening along the main uh, saddle and we kind of laid down, got in position and my friend ranged the, the big, we could see two bulls and my friend ma- ranged the, the bigger one and he was 400 yards. So I set my rifle up and dialed my turret and I'm looking at him through the scope and it's like, man, he's such a sweet, he's a nice six point. But I'm like, this isn't, this isn't the bull, you know, this isn't the one that I saw. Oh yeah, you could tell, huh? Yeah, I could tell. I was just like, "Oh shit, this isn't the, this isn't him," you know. And and so I'm looking at him, and I and my buddy's like, "Are you gonna shoot?" And I'm like, "That's not him," you know. And it's it's like it's getting dark. It's it's close to the end of shooting light, and and I'm just waiting for like the bull that I saw or or a bigger bull to come out, and and they just it wasn't happening. And meanwhile, the closer bull, the, the smaller bull, he had us pegged. He was staring straight at us. And, and I was like, I was like, dude, if you want to shoot, go ahead. Like I'm going to pass. And so he lays down right next to me, 
And he's like, I'll take a look. And I was like, let me know if you're going to shoot. And he didn't respond. I don't know if he didn't hear me or, you know, if I didn't hear him or what, but so like, I just like, I plugged my ears cause his muzzle was very close to my face and I'm watching and watching and waiting and nothing. And, and then I, I unplug my ears and look over to ask him if he's going to shoot and he shoots. And it just like the <laughs> muzzle blast just freaking rattled me. Like it was, it was very close to my face. And I, I like kind of look over and bulls just start running all over the place. And so I lay down, get on my rifle and they kind of run out and, and stop. And they're a little further from us. And the one furthest and on the left edge, I look at him and he's got just a huge back end. And I, I'm like, I'm taking this guy. And so I rip off a shot and I, you know, I hear it hit him and he kind of staggers a little bit and I jacked another shell in and hit him again. And he's at this point, he's kind of moving downhill, but he's, he's still moving. So I, I hit him again and, uh, I look at him with my scope. I've only, I only had three rounds in my, uh, in my little, you know, uh, the little speed loader thing or whatever in the bottom of the gun. And, and he's just standing there. And so I'm like, start fumbling through my stuff to I have one of those bags on my stock to, and I had more ammo in there and I grab around and get it, get it chambered and look through the scope and he's down. Yes. And, uh, and I was just like, Oh man, it was crazy. And, but so that happens and, and there's one bull standing there broadside looking at us. And my buddy's like, is that my bull? And I was like, I don't know. And I, I grab my binoculars and I'm looking him over and, and like, he's just a nice solid six point. And I was like, dude, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't think you should shoot. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I shouldn't, but that's gotta be him. And, and we went back and forth on it for probably until it was well past shooting light. That bull just sat there and stared at us and we're like, it's, maybe it's him and he's hurt and he doesn't want to run off. Like it was just, it was so weird. This oh, just stood there and looked at us and, and I felt horrible, you know, cause like I wasn't spotting his shot and I mean, I should have been, but I, you know, I just, the way we set up in that amount of time, I, it just, I, you know, my fault, but I didn't know if he hit him. He didn't know if he hit him. And, and, uh, you know, you don't want to take that risk of knocking down three big bulls with two tags. I mean, that would just be the worst possible outcome. For certain. No, you guys made a good call. So did you guys... Uh, yeah, did you so guys- we, we watched him run off eventually, and uh, and our plan was to just go up. We made note of where, where the bull was when he shot him, and, and uh, we're like, we'll go up there, we'll search for blood and hair and stuff, and hopefully, you know, if you hit him, we'll find a blood trail or something, and we can come back and, and track them in the morning or, you know, we're just like trying to, trying to reason our way through it. And we start walking. I mean, it's only 400 yards and we start walking and I'm looking up there and it's just bare grass. And I'm like, man, there's something in the grass right there, Mason. And, and he looks up and I'm like, that's a bull. <laughs> and he just like, man, he just went from so low to so high, just, yes. just an instant 180. Right. I mean, I mean, we all know that feeling. That's and hunting, yeah. He he just he ran up to his bull, and it was just it was so cool. I mean, his bull was only sixty yards from mine. We had two two just awesome six point bulls dead on the mountain. It was 
is unbelievable. Okay, so <laughs> what's the pack out situation? Obviously, it's cold. Are you guys leaving hide on? Break down the bulls for us. Yeah, so so we, I mean, we took a minute, obviously, to take some pictures and and look over everything, and uh, we called a called a few of our buddies. We actually had service up on the top there, and um, we called a few friends, and um, we ended up getting three buddies that were going to be meeting us at camp at eight in the morning to come help pack meat. So that was, I mean, that was amazing. Like having buddies that you can rely on to come help you. That's, that's awesome. But so we, we started with my bull, uh, caped him, quartered him, cut all the, uh, skin. We took the skin off, cut the quarters off, cut all the meat off, got everything into bags. And we moved it like a hundred yards down the hill and kind of set it up leaning against a tree and against dead trees and stuff kind of just so that they'd be in the shade the next day. And I don't know, just so that they'd breathe a little better than just leave them on the ground out there and in the wide open. And then we did the same with his bowl. We skinned it out, cut the quarters off and all the meat, put everything in bags, set it all up by that tree. And then we each took a hind quarter and all of our stuff back down that night and I think we got back to camp at like two thirty in the morning, just in time for a little nap. And yeah, slept a couple hours, and then our buddies were there at eight, and we went back up, and we got the rest of we got all the rest of it in one trip with five of us, and it was the most miserable pack out that I have ever experienced in my entire life. I was I had a whole bag of just backstrap, neck meat, tenderloin, all the, you know, all the Trend. incidental meat. I had that in my XO bag. I had a front shoulder on the frame and then the head and cape, I was just holding on top of my head and, oh. and on the frame. And I carried that son of a bitch for, I don't know, three miles, however far it was down 3000 vertical feet. It was it was so miserable. But it that's it. it. Like right now, sitting in your cozy little house, look yeah. back, no pain at all. It's just like the best memories. That's how all pack outs should be. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I, I wouldn't change it, but, you know, it, it built a lot of character in me in one afternoon on a, on a mountain. But, but the, the, the crappy thing about that pack was with the, the head and cape, like it was too heavy for me to hoist up onto the top of my pack by myself so I couldn't if I like were to lay it down to rest then I wouldn't be able to put it back on top of me again so I whenever I needed to rest I would just kneel down and let the antlers kind of touch the ground and that would take the head and cape off of me but I never got <laughs> to like sit down and like take the weight of my actual pack it was just, man. So I just, they, they loaded me up first and I just started cruising down the mountain. I didn't see him until I was at the bottom. What size XO are you running? I have the 3,500 and I got to say, man, that is like, I think that's the best money. That's like the best hunting piece of equipment that I have. I love that pack. It is so nice. Yeah. For those that don't know, those bags detach and you got this load shelf where you can slap meat in you're not wasting trips out in that titanium frame. That's the lightest pack. I used to be a mystery ranch guy for years. And then when Steve came out with his first run of Exos, I tried it. And they've come a long ways. But, man, they 
just the pack itself is so light. Um, I like the bags, the way that they have them designed, the sides where you can stash so much gear on both sides, including spotters and tripods, and then you can press it. Yeah, you can make it as big or small. Um, This is not an EXO commercial right now, but I do got to give props. That is a sweet pack. Okay, so did you butcher the meat? Did you butcher the meat yourself, or did you you take it to a butcher? Yeah, so... um, my dad, when he was like, I don't know, I think when he was in his early 20s or maybe just before then, his his dad and his brother and him used to run a packing plant. So my dad is like a freaking meat wizard with a knife. Like, it's unbelievable. And so he helped me. And uh, yeah, we butchered, we butchered everything for my bowl at my house, me and my dad did. And um I basically, I basically cut everything. I, I think I got like, I don't know, probably 50 or 60 roasts that are like two to two to four pounds each. And then I don't know, however many, however many packages of one to two pounds of steak from the back straps and tenderloins and stuff. And then pretty much everything else I just uh, took to a place to have ground up into a burger. Roger that. All right, man. So here we are. We're coming up on the end of the year. What is? How do you start planning for 2020? What do you need to work on personally in your game to make yourself better? And how are you going to leverage elk hunting the rest of the year? I definitely um, – my goal is to kill an elk with my bow. I've never done that. I haven't really been bow hunting for elk all that long, just a few years now. And I didn't this last year. So, so my main goal is to kill an elk with my bow. I got my new bow. One of the big things I want to do this year, I've always pretty much relied on like a shop or something to make sure my bow is all tuned and everything's right. I want to be able to do all that on my own. I don't want to rely on someone else. Um, that's, that's going to be a fun challenge this year. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I just, I'm just going to shoot a lot and, and uh, I haven't decided if I'm going to, bow hunt in the zone that I rifle hunted for the, where I shot this elk this year. I, I typically bow hunt in a different, in a different zone in Idaho, but man, it, I just love that country that I was in so much. I just, it would be so fun. I think to bow hunt. So you got to do that. Yeah, it, you got to. So do you, do you have a bow press? No, I don't. Is that going to be something that you're going to invest in? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I need to, I need to start going into research mode and figuring out what all I need for, uh, I just bought this new bow like the other day on a whim. My friend texted me and he's like, Hey, they have crazy good deals right now. You should go check one out. And so I should win, bit the bullet and did it right then, but it's not set up or anything. I need to, I need to do all of that. So what archery mean, what shop? You, what do you think? Well, we'll talk about that. What archery shop did you go to? Uh, I bought the bow from, I think it's called mountain archery in rexburg okay i am my youtube channel is hilarious like so i put myself out there and i know i'm gonna just get hammered and i can't wait to i don't i should have this pulled up for you but like i've been like for years just here's my bow put it together okay here's my bow it's not shooting right uh tune it at some point i was like dude i'm tired of like waiting for them to work on my bow so I just bugged the crap out of my shop owner to like let me go behind the counter and just struggle bus. And I just posted a video. Well, when this podcast airs, it'll been have been out for a few weeks, but posted it 
as we are recording right now, maybe two days ago, it was like my Matthews bow build, my VXR, and I did most of the work, and the the video has gotten a lot of views. It's like almost 10,000 views already, which is a lot for me, yeah. and uh, the comments are awesome. Like, There's literally like a couple of mean people out there that just like, you don't know how to shoot a bow, or... Yeah, of course. Um, that is the worst job I've ever seen anyone do on tying a peep. Uh, that is the, the worst D loop ever made. And I'm just like, I even put in the notes, I'm like, Hey, I am, I'm struggling, but I have, you know, I'm at the archery shop. These guys are going to come over and inspect my work and help fix it. But that's the only way you learn. Right. But I see myself eventually having a bow press in my office where I record podcasts and I would like to continue to be able to tinker with my stuff and just mess with setups and, and just be self-reliant. Honestly. Um, I think that'd be a good goal for anybody listening is to become a more do it yourself archery guy. When it comes to the technical side, I think you'll learn more about your setup and you'll learn more about what really a bow wants. So it's tuned and shoots the best that it can. And then obviously always working on your craft. If you're new to archery, it wouldn't hurt to get a lesson by somebody who's a really good target archer in your area. Yeah. And um, there is quite a few in Idaho Falls. I think Carter releases are somewhere down there. So like Forrest Carter and then um, the all the wild guys like Real Wild and all his brothers and dad, they're all down there somewhere in your neck of the hood. Yeah. Those guys are world class. If you could just pay them cash and have them teach you a couple of things out the, go- out the gate so you don't create any poor habits – uh, yeah, that would be my recommendation. I taught myself, so I've had to go back and try to fix a lot of things. And I've had some really helpful people. Y'all know who you are, who have helped me along my journey. And I'm still on my journey, you know, but uh, yeah. there's something to be said for doing some work on your own. But I think I like that you're kind of advertising your goal, archery bull. I think you'll get it done. Your season down there opens August 30th. I would suspect... Early season elk are a little harder. Right before the rut really gets cranking, there's a good time to get in the woods. So what were you thinking yeah, for uh, your days? Yeah, so so I really like the the first little bit. Over my few years of hunting, we've always had really like a lot of action on those first, that first like probably first three to five days. Yeah. And then I, I feel like it kind of slows down for a while until the rut kind of picks up. I, I think I'll probably commit some – a fair amount of time to that first, maybe the first week or something like that. And then probably take another week or week and a half in the, like near the ending kind of middle to end of September. I'll have to see how, how the day, how the calendar looks. But I think, I think that's a pretty good uh, strategy. It's usually when it seems to be kind of picking up. I mean, do you think you'll hunt with a squad of guys or you go solo? What were you thinking? Yeah. So, so the past couple of years I've hunted with, um, my, my friend that I, that I rifle hunted with this year and, and a couple of other buddies. And, and that's really fun. I, I love, I love hunting with other people. It's way fun, but, but I think that hunting solo would be, would be way cool for archery too. I, I really like the spot and stock style of hunting and, and I, I kind of just, I kind of just, I really love glassing and just, just glassing and finding elk in this area that we, we usually hunt. It's kind of hard to glass cause it's just thick timber everywhere. But the area that I was elk hunting in with my rifle is a lot of like glassing country. And so that's, what's tempting me to go 
to hunt in that unit too is man i just it would be way fun to just glass and find a herd and then try to cut them off or sneak in with them or you know i just that sounds so appealing to me definitely well man i appreciate you coming on and like just sharing your story i knew you killed a really special bull i'll post a picture on the cover art for our episode this won't drop for a few weeks but uh just being a 28-year-old stud, getting after it. And if you look on your Instagram, which I did before our interview, what did that whitetail score? I hate asking score. I hate asking score. But I got That's a good know. question. I never scored him. <laughs> he's hanging on my wall. I haven't scored him yet. Is I need he to like Boone and Crockett? No, he's not. He, he, he looks real big, but I don't think he's Boone and Crockett. He's wow. he's pretty nice though. I mean, he's he's bigger than way bigger than any whitetail I've ever seen around here. I was I actually like, was archery hunting for him the year before, and I blew the stock and I never saw him again. I saw him one time during the the November archery season. Yeah, and then I looked for him the whole summer, the whole year, the year after that. Tried to find him, I couldn't find him, and then just one random day on in deer season it was raining and nasty and i didn't really want to go out but i just forced myself to just go for a hike with a gun and lo and behold i kicked him out of some timber and dropped the hammer he's an awesome buck yeah you guys gotta check out that i mean i'm floored on big mountain whitetail bucks from idaho and that is a dandy you got some really good mule deer as well I think your shed hunting and just all the time you spend in the gym, all that's just paying off for you. And I'm excited to see if you can accomplish your archery goal of harvesting your first elk with a bow. Hopefully it's a bull, but I mean, man, I'm excited for you. Um, yeah. Where can people follow you on Instagram? Thanks, man. Um, yeah, my Instagram's Will Hoffman101. Yeah, check it out. I, I have a YouTube channel. I haven't posted very many things on there. Uh, just some shed hunting videos that I've done. I, I have a lot more content, but I haven't really put it up. What's I can't your... I can't decide on the shed hunting thing, but it's called Idaho Outdoors is the channel. So okay. check that out. I'll post a link, man. We'll get people to go check out your stuff. I mean, YouTube's fun now. You can watch it on your big TV up, you know, in your living room or watch it on your phone. And I love I love the YouTube videos, especially I love the ones that I've made, honestly. I think it's it's really fun for me even to just go back and watch them because I love to see how excited I get over some sheds, but uh the thing that I just don't like is just how crazy popular shed hunting is getting to it. I mean, it's getting to the point that there's just so many people out and I just, I almost feel like you're advertising it too much. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I kind of have that conflict inside of myself right now with the, with the shed hunting videos, but I love it. So, yeah, it's a double edged sword. I, I feel that way on this podcast. Like I want to give really good, solid information on this podcast I also want to be inspirational besides hunting. I want guys to like get inspired to be a good human because of hunting and to work hard 365 and just stay on that straight and narrow war path to be the best possible version of themselves. But I, I catch myself pausing sometimes. I'm like, oh, I don't – do I want to – but you know, the more hmm. you can help people, the better it is. And this life is short, you know, so – just helping other people get into some of these experiences that you and I have had, man, it's, it's what it's all about. And hopefully someday you'll have little kids that you can take out shed hunting. You can take and let them hear their first bull bugle. And you know, um, it's a tough one. I get where you're coming from and and I feel you dude, but, um, (laughs) we got to wrap this up because I want to talk to you afterwards. We, uh, I, I always like to tell everybody on the podcast that, um, 
some of the best stuff happens when we hit record button off and we can talk. Uh, but along the lines of uh, just your fitness and, and, and the fact that you're working so hard towards your goals, I, I'm excited, man, to see you. I'm going to follow you on Instagram and, and I'll check out your YouTube channel. And I encourage everyone else to do the same. So this is Will Hoffman. He's out of Idaho Falls and go check him out. Go see what he, go see this bull he killed, man. It's unreal. And his buddy too. Who, what's your buddy's name? My buddy's name is Mason. I think his, I think his Instagram is Mason Sell, something like that. Well, shout out to Mason for, for being a good hunting partner, man. The guy's a solid dude and uh, you keep that friendship intact. So, all right, man. Well, thanks for uh, coming on and uh, hold the line. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic, from planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between. The University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. That was awesome. Will Hoffman, thanks for coming on. And yeah, have a great week. Train hard. Just know that 90 Days to Freedom is a garage gym program that I've been working on since I got done elk hunting. It's just about done. It will be ready January 1st and it will require very little equipment. And if you're worried about that, just know that it would be ideal to make your own sandbag. It would be ideal to have a pair of dumbbells. If you had a barbell, that would be outstanding. You don't have to. You can make your own box for step-ups. If you have kettlebells, great. Not a must. And as far as a pull-up bar, you should have a pull-up bar in your garage gym. But it's a garage gym-based program. You can scale the workouts down. You can scale them up. If you have access to a regular gym, you can take this program there. But ultimately, it's just a way for you to kind of transform over the next 90 days, and we add everything from the general warm-up, the injury prevention, and then the strength, the conditioning, the cool-down notes for you to tweak it. And we have quite a bit of information in between workouts. Uh, price point, don't have one yet, but it's not going to be massively expensive. I, I want people to do the program. And if you've ever been to an elk-shaped camp, just know that we created a private Facebook group for you guys that graduate. And as we do more and more camps, we'll add more and more guys in there so we can really lean on each other for elk knowledge, fitness knowledge, stay motivated, stay on top of our game. Speaking of the camps, we have six. So what we're going to do is continue to offer our first responder discount. So if you are a first responder, that's active military, police, firefighter, something along those lines, you'll have to prove it. But at checkout, you can use the discount code first responder, all one word, lowercase. It's going to take 150 bucks off registration. Last but not least, Elk Shape Camp 
online. That is something that we have right now. For 99 bucks, you get access to all the videos from previous camps that we did in 2019. There's 30 something videos per camp covering all our subject matter experts and covering all the topics that we cover and we continue to film our camps in 2020. And those videos will be private for people that subscribe to Elk Shape Camp online. If you do that, you also get a discount code for regular live Elk Shape Camps and starting 2020, we're going to include in your subscription any workout programs, any digital education that we do that's for sale on elkshape.com. We're going to include that in your subscription. So you'll have 90 days to freedom, 21 days to elk shape, our transformation food plan. We'll let the ebook be in there. So anything digitally, we're going to include because we really want to get folks involved in that and help elevate their game. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you guys. Have a great week. We'll catch you on the next one.